Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. The title of Dr. Splon's sermon today is A Faltering Faith. The big idea is that we are often tempted to take matters into our own hands rather than trusting in God to do what seems impossible. Paul shows us that we still face the same temptation when we seek to earn righteousness by keeping the law rather than receiving salvation by grace through faith. Well, choir, if I was not ready to preach before that, I am now. Man, um, it's so good to hear the gospel proclaimed like that from um, basically singing scripture. So thank you so much uh, for that. Um, another couple other comments. Um, these flowers here in front of me are, um, as you know, sunflowers. And um, our flower committee has done such a thoughtful thing this morning. They are um, the national flower of Ukraine. And so keeping before us um, the importance of praying for those in that country. It's, it's easy for us, it's easy for me, to move on to uh, my life and forget about suffering those around the world. And so thank you so much for that thoughtful um, gesture this morning. Also, I just want to thank you for being here. It is, it is really encouraging to look out and see so many of you here. And I just want to encourage you that your presence matters. It matters to those around you, and it's such an encouragement um, to me. And thank you for all your faithful support of our church during these days. I'm excited about all that God has us to know in the coming days. I invite you to uh, turn to page 10 in your pew Bible, Genesis chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And then hold your finger there. And you can turn over to the book of Galatians. It's on page 825 if you're using the Pew Bible. And we're going to read chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. We're continuing this morning in our series on the life of faith. And we're looking at episodes in the life of Abraham and Sarah and looking at how New Testament authors point back to these episodes to help us understand that there's more going on than just Abraham and Sarah here. That so many of the foundational doctrines and truths of our faith are illustrated in their lives. And so this morning, we're going to look at a point in which their faith faltered a bit. So far, we've been holding up Abraham as a positive example, that he believed the Lord, that he listened and obeyed. We get to a point that perhaps you identify with as well, where faith started to falter. Genesis 16, beginning in verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah took his his wife, Sarah, his wife, excuse me, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And then in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, Paul writes these words. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're currently reading through or listening through the book of Exodus in our Project 119 Bible reading plan. And I will just tell you that the book of Exodus is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. And the episode of the Exodus event is it's one of those episodes in Scripture that if you're bored reading through that, I don't know what to tell you. It, it is a fascinating story. As God's people are in slavery in Egypt, they cry out to the Lord. The Lord hears their cries for deliverance. He sends Moses. All of these miracles happen that they may go out. They cross the Red Sea on dry land. Over and over again, God displays his power and his might by the way that he saves his people. But the problem is, and the perplexing part of the story comes in, in the way that the people respond. Rather than being filled with faith, rather than running into the promised land, knowing that nothing can stop them if God is on their side, their faith starts to falter. And I've often wondered, how in the world could God's people long to go back to captivity and slavery in Egypt rather than move forward into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land? It's right there on the pages of Exodus. You see it again in the book of Numbers. When things get hard, they look to Moses and Aaron and they say, what in the world did you do bringing us out here into this wilderness? At least in Egypt, we had meat to eat and we had bread. And though it was maybe hard, at least we weren't going to die of starvation. And this unthinkable thing happens that rather than moving forward in faith, they would rather go back to slavery if that means that they at least know they'll be fed. The Lord's gracious and he sustains them and continues eventually to lead them into the promised land. But it really does make me scratch my head as I'm reading those episodes. Until I think about myself, perhaps, in my own life, and my own journey of faith, critically enough. There are moments when I am a person who is filled with faith. 
and I move forward and I trust that God's gonna provide. And there are other moments in my life where I'm not such a person of faith. You relate to that yourself? And when things get hard, when the odds seem long, when it seems like I really am gonna have to have a miracle for God to come through to see his blessing in my life, my temptation is to turn back to that which is familiar, to that which has worked in the past, and really to look to my own resources and abilities to make things happen if God's not going to make them happen on my own timetable. And it's in that situation where we start to really understand in whom or in what we have placed our faith. When you get to Genesis chapter 16, I mean, you might remember that just last week we were in Genesis chapter 15, and God gave this promise that Abraham would have a son, that his descendants or his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and we rejoiced in that passage. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Things seemed to be moving in the right direction. But when you get to Genesis chapter 16, their patience is wearing thin. And even as I was reading it this week, it, it stuck out to me for the first time that I'd really paid attention closely, or maybe for the first time in a long time. But it's a little note there in verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years. Now in some ways, 10 years is not that much time. I was thinking about my own life this week as I was reflecting on the uh, span of 10 years. And if, if I live up to the average life expectancy, I might have less 10 years out ahead of me than I've got in the rearview mirror. But in some ways, 10 years doesn't seem that long. My son is 12, my daughter will be 10, and it seems like 10 years has just clipped off like that. But if you are walking through a difficult season of life, 10 days seems like a long time. Ten months seems like an eternity. Ten years? Sarah's not getting any younger. Abram's not getting any younger. And so, finally, Sarah seems that she's going to take matters into her own hands. And she says, Abram, I, I want to move forward in faith, perhaps, but in case you haven't noticed, we've been in this land ten years and nothing seems to be happening in terms of us having children. That same guy that Abram worried about being his descendant that would be the heir of all of his stuff is still there perhaps. And Sarah says, let's, let's see if we can't make this happen on our own. Rather than moving forward in faith, she starts to rely on her flesh, her own wisdom. And she says, hey, we have Hagar here. Perhaps, perhaps we could have a child through Hagar. And there's this little note in there in Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. It's at the end. It's this, this break from what Abram's done to this point. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. The English Standard Version that I read and study a good bit 
It says, Abram listened to Sarah. And it's just a reminder that to this point, perhaps, he's listened to the right voices in his mind. He's been listening to the Lord and what God has said to him. He's been responding in faith, perhaps not perfectly every time, but, but generally he's moving forward in faith. But when Sarah comes in with this alternate plan, rather than wait on the promise, rather than wait on what God said he would do in and through us, Let's see if we can't make this work on our own. Have you ever tried that in your own life? Where you knew the right thing to do, you knew what would be consistent with God's word, you knew what the path of faith would be for you, but, but in that moment where it seemed like your will and your desires were not exactly lining up with God's will and God's desires, that you decided to take matters into your own hands. And bring about what it seems like God is not going to bring about for you. I've seen it happen in my own life. I mentioned maybe a couple weeks ago that as I think about my testimony and my story and my life, it's, it's really those moments when I listen to other voices rather than listening to God's voice that I have the most regret and when I've done the things that I know are outside of God's will when I've tried to make it happen on my own. I've seen it in my own life. I've, I've seen it in churches, perhaps, where there's this sense that we know what God would have us to do. We know what the role of faith and the way that we ought to go. But when hardship or difficulty comes, it's just sometimes so tempting to fall back on our own wisdom or our own resources or what we think we can make happen. Because the truth of the matter is that it is very scary to go out on a limb and to live in faith and trust that if God doesn't come through for us, then we're doomed. It's easy to talk about faith in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. It's a much more difficult thing to go out into the world and live into the faith that God calls us to embrace and trust that his plans and his purposes will come to pass in our lives. I kind of feel like I get to cheat since I'm a preacher. People expect me to do the right thing. I get paid to stand up for Jesus, correct? But I know enough about the world that some of you are in places where everyone's not going to stand up and applaud if you follow the way of Christ. I know enough to know, and the Lord's given me opportunity to have conversations with enough of you to know, that sometimes making the right step, living a life of faith and trusting that God will provide for you, looks like a certain way to end your career or ruin your business, perhaps. Or if you're a student, looks like the easiest way to kill your social life forever. Whatever it is, it's in those moments when you and I are called to step out and trust. Even against all evidence of the contrary, that being faithful to God's plans and his purposes in our lives will be better than anything that you and I can do in our own power to try to succeed or make it through this life. 
We just are tempted to fall back on our flesh rather than moving forward in faith. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians in an effort to help them remember the good news of the gospel that they had embraced through faith while he ministered among them. And it's really fascinating. At the, end, at the beginning of the book of Galatians, Paul says this in Galatians 1, verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning from the good news that I preached to you and you're embracing something different. As I thought just over the biblical story, there's so many opportunities that God's people had to turn away from what they knew to be true and to embrace something different, a false good news, so to speak. And the Galatians were in that same predicament that Paul had ministered among them and he had talked to them about the truth that you and I are sinners, that we need to be saved, that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves. It's only by grace through faith that we can be saved. And they had apparently embraced that. But now there are other people coming into the church, and this is Paul's most passionate letter. This is one of those letters that you read and you think, wow, if I preach that sermon, chairman of the personnel committee might be in my office on Monday. I mean, it is just right in their face about the ways in which they're turning away from the good news of the gospel, and they're trying to embrace something other than Jesus for their salvation. And it was probably kind of a sneaky way that these false teachers did it. They're often referred to as Judaizers. So what they would do is they would come in and say, yeah, Place your faith in Jesus for salvation, but also make sure you're circumcised. Oh, and also, if you want to be really spiritual, if you want to be really holy, make sure that you observe all the right days and feasts and all these things in addition to your faith in Jesus. And so Paul writes a really powerful letter to say, There's no way for you and I to move forward and to enjoy and experience the freedom that the gospel ought to bring to us if we try to embrace Jesus plus anything else for our standing before God. And he looks back to Hagar and Sarah. And Paul does something that would get you an F in preaching class. He uses allegory. It's the only time this word for allegory is used in the New Testament. And preaching professors get real nervous when you use allegory because the, the comparisons, it, it, it's, it's, it's shaky at best sometimes. That you can look back in the Old Testament and find some color red. And you can say, oh, that's obviously the blood of Jesus. And Old Testament professors get real nervous when you do stuff like that. But Paul looks back to to the example of Abram and Hagar and Sarah. He says, this is a beautiful picture and it is a powerful warning against you and I trusting in anything other than Jesus for our salvation. 
And, and I feel a certain pastoral responsibility this morning to you as I preach this passage. Because if God's gracious and he gives me a few more decades ahead to do ministry here, some of you will die if Jesus doesn't come back first. And when you get to that point, I want you to have bedrock certainty in your heart that your assurance is found not in who you are or what you've done or what you've left undone, but in that moment, your certainty of salvation and acceptance before the Lord is all in what God has done for you in Jesus, full stop. It's not in how well you attended Sunday school. It's not in whether you read the Bible every day or gave a bunch of money to do things. None of those things will matter when you stand before the Lord if your hope is not fully in Jesus Christ. And I know it's easy for us in the sanctuary today, maybe when things are going okay, to think that would never be us. But when you come to the end of your life and you're thinking about crossing that wilderness that is death and trusting that God's going to see you through, it really is that moment that you need to know that your certainty is found in Jesus and not in yourselves. So Paul says, those of you who would love to be under the law, let me just remind you what you're getting yourself into. If you want to be judged by the law, then you have to keep everything in the law perfectly. You have to always do what's right. You have to never do what's wrong. And he goes back and he says, ultimately, that is the path to slavery. But it's tempting to us because it appeals to something inside of ourselves especially maybe those of us who live over the mountain. Like, we're generally smart people. We, we generally seem like we have it together, and that's true in so many ways. Maybe you're the person that when you got the syllabus on day one, you're like, game on. I love to know what's required, and I want to make sure that I do it to the best of my ability and earn that A. But the law will not free us. Because no matter how hard we try or how much effort we put forward, ultimately, Paul says, if we justify ourselves or try to justify ourselves by being good enough and living into the law well enough, the only place that you and I are going to find ourselves is in bondage. And on this path of trying again and trying again, and then we fail and then we try again and we try again, and Paul says, if that's what you want to do, then you're children of Hagar, not of the promise. But this better way is offered to us through faith in Jesus. And it is this recognition that we cannot do it well enough on our own. That rather than us looking to the law or any other system of righteousness that we might prop up to earn something from the Lord, the only way for you to come and be accepted before God is to admit that you can't do it. And that what you need is this miraculous 
work of God in your heart and life to respond in faith to what God has done for you in Jesus so that you and I could be called children of promise, just like Isaac. Pretty soon we're going to get to Isaac's birth. And if you thought you had to wait a long time for Ishmael's birth, then we got to wait even longer before we get to Isaac's birth. It's like God's proven the point that there's nothing left of life in Abram and Sarah. And in that moment, when their bodies are not candidates to bruise children, God miraculously does for them what they could not do for themselves. He's faithful to his promise. And that is you and that is me. That as we come to God, and we acknowledge that we bring nothing to salvation, we can't add to it, we can't make it better, that we can't earn some superior level compared to someone on the pew beside us, that there's this wonderful freedom that we experience. And God says, you are my child through faith. And it's in spite of all the ways you messed up, it's in spite of all the ways that you could never measure up, It's through grace, through faith. If you've ever lived a life and you tried to keep up appearances, you know what it's like to labor under that. It's slavery. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that there is freedom to be found. No pretending, no acting like you're something that you're not. So I pray for you and I pray for me more and more that we would embrace the freedom that the gospel ought to bring us, knowing that the only way that you and I will stand before the Lord with any sense that he accepts us will all be through what God has done for us in Jesus, so that in our life and in our death, our hope is in him and him alone. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we are so grateful for the good news of the gospel, and we confess that we're prone to look to ourselves more than we look to Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for the places in our lives where we want to turn back, that we want to embrace some form of religion that we think will allow us to justify ourselves before you or before other people. Lord, remind us that that's an empty pursuit that will not free us. Help us to not rely on our flesh, but help us to rely on our faith. Help us to look to you, the object of our faith, and not to ourselves. We pray that we would walk in the freedom and the hope the good news of the gospel brings to us so that both in life and in death we might find assurance and freedom and peace. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.